you would today um, specifically about our service and for ourselves and that we would be in contact with God during our service time today. So let's bow our heads and come in contact with our Lord. Father, we thank You that You allow us to worship You. We thank You that You've placed Your hand on our lives. We recognize that we are but sinners and we don't deserve anything. And yet, You still love us. Father, we pray for this time of worship and the worship that we have each week as we gather around to study Your Word and to challenge ourselves and to gain energy to face this difficult world we live in. We ask that You would use us as testimonies and encouragers to others. But Father, help us most of all when we gather together to meet You. It's so easy to talk about You, Lord, but we ask that You would massage our hearts to where we would be sensitized to Your Spirit. Father, we thank You for the songs we've sang already. We thank You for the lyrics that uh, carried us through uh, a walk with You. We thank You for the opportunity to pray and to talk with You. We thank You for Your Scripture as it gives us training and teaching and challenge. Father, we ask that this time would be precious for each of us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, I, um, we'll, we're looking at something a little different. Uh, we're looking at the Beatitudes, uh, and uh, this part of Scripture is very common, very um, popular, very well known by most people. It tells us that what we are to be like, the be attitudes, to be this way, to have these attitudes, to have these standards, if you will. Recently, here in Canada, even as recent as last week, we were here dealing with um, uh, an issue that has to do with the petition, dealing with uh, gender identity and gender expression. Uh, of course, we know that we live in a society where our faith and the society are not always going to um, mix well. Society is not always extremely welcoming of uh, some of the things that we believe. But then again, what we believe is not always that welcoming of what society is uh, trying to direct us toward. And uh, as we looked at that, uh, the issue of this petition that has come out and, and the, uh, the issues that are going on in our, our school systems and this kind of thing, we, we do have to recognize that we live in a world where uh, the homosexual and lesbian communities are seeking to present themselves as an acceptable, respected part of society and have the, homo, the heterosexual community view them as a healthy lifestyle alternative, that they're a very politically active group. All you have to do is watch anything that's coming out of Hollywood these days, and you can see that there's more.
compromise our own values and say that whatever is we do is all relative. When the word sin is applied to the habits and actions and lifestyle of things like this and these people, the speaker is usually silenced with the threat of legal action. The church is a grouping of Christians. We gather together for worship, service, and support related to our united faith. But it's been under great pressure. Um, and we always find ourselves regularly defining ourselves as society pushes and pulls on our values. We have sincerely tried to communicate that we are merely sinners, saved by the action of God through grace. We've emphasized that we seek to assist all people, including ourselves, to avoid all types of sin, while still knowing that God loves the sinner. It's very hard to communicate. People struggle with that. They hear this. They see it as religious terminology, when in fact it is much more than that. Because indeed, Christ did not like the sin that He died for on a cross to, to redeem that for the people that He was redeeming. But He did like the people. He loved the people. He cared about the people. And we follow His turn and death. While it is possible that there are Christians who are militants about their views on homosexuality, most believers are not that way. Most Christians desire to show love and concern for all that we live with because we recognize we live in a sinful state in, a, in a, a world that is sinful. Which sin is the worst sin? The answer I would give is, I don't know. Now, certainly Matthew twelve twenty two to 32 says that only the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So possibly that would make that one definitely the worst sin because that one has gives the person very little hope. It's an unpardonable sin. But that's basically... For which one is worse? The Bible says that there are some sins that are specifically unacceptable to God, but we know that God dislikes all sin, as it is a choice away from the will of God. You know, from, from the time that God created the world through the days and periods of the dinosaurs, up through Moses and Noah and up through Jesus and even into our day, man's been struggling with the issue of what is success, what is failure, what is meaningful in our lives. At the same time, mankind has had an internal awareness that people are different. We have different values and different goals and different things in our background that have made us who we are and impacted what we see as right and wrong, good and evil. There are many people in our world today that fear that if the church stands up expressing a stance against the gay and lesbian behavior that exists in our world, it will be viewed as closed-minded and intolerant. For myself personally as a Christian, I am equally fearful that the church will not stand up and express its stance toward what we call sin in a desire to be viewed as open-minded. My fear is that we will become nothing. 
that we stand for nothing and we sit for everything. To stand up is to say, I have a commitment. I have a standard. As we function from a position of moral and ethical challenge, we have to determine what we believe and what is worth our stance. To be ridiculed and persecuted for our open values is nothing new for the Christian. If you say you have a standard, expect a level of criticism. It says, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak to the name of Jesus and let them go. So the apostles departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. In Acts 5, verse 40 and 41. The challenge for us is, would you rejoice if you were beaten and threatened because of your Christian stance against sin? We try to soften things in order to be less offensive. And I fear we also lose our flavor. The Chinese, we use a term, we say, local ginger is not hot. And if the gum is not light, what's the point of eating it? You know, we, it's, we are going to cause an impact with our stance as Christians. Christ found no great struggle when he threw the moneylenders out of the church because of their disrespect for the purpose of what the temple was there for. Christ had no problem calling the religious leadership of his day a brood of vipers. On the other hand, for us to be acceptable to our society at the cost of selling our soul would make the church impotent and purposeless. Indeed, these types of churches can already be found. They have compromised to the left, compromised to the right, but they have no content. Most of these churches are either dying or empty. Today, I personally make no apologies for the fact that I was blessed by growing up in a Christian home with values and standards that were presented to me by God as I walked through my experience in church and from wonderful Sunday school teachers from the earliest of age. The Bible did and does provide my standard for what is acceptable behavior, and I am most thankful that my parents allowed me to have those standards. Today I'm not speaking about homosexuality. I'm not speaking on promiscuity. Those are not the main topics. The topic for today are the Beatitudes and whatever hits, hits. Whatever sticks, sticks. We have to apply the Scriptures to our own lives and what we understand. As you know, I've lived in China for 95% of my adult life. I've seen what it's like to live in a society that has no standards. You know, we used to think historically 
the uh, you guys see so, um, Confucian teachings were the foundation for Chinese society. But over the last 60 years, China has backed away from that heavily. They moved toward the idea that all religion was viewed as superstitious. And so they began to remove the philosophy and the religion and the thinking in many, many areas, thinking that it was going to eliminate their problems. Whereas, in fact... Turned to North America a few months back. I uh, remember that I began to see these posters and billboards and things talking about zombies. And I remember looking at it and thinking, what in the world is a zombie? That is the ugliest looking thing I've ever seen. But later, gradually, what I began to understand was. This zombie thing, whatever that might be, basically was something that had no morals. It was totally immoral, totally non-moral, had no thinking to speak of. It was just an existing thing. And I began to reflect on China and so many people there who exist but have not life. Today I would say to you that any person without Jesus has not life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. People have to have a purpose. They have to have a reason. See, some of our Christians, some of us even in this room, struggle for direction and focus and where we're going, and yet we say we know Jesus. My theory is some of the time our Jesus knowledge is indeed just knowledge. It's found between our ears, in our head. We have the understanding, but we've not allowed the Lordship to occur. Today we're going to be looking at Beatitudes because the Beatitudes say this is what we are to be like. It's a challenge of character. So it's just a simple bit of Scripture. It says do this and you get this. You do this and you get this. Except, in fact, what Christ was doing, again, Christ being the, the not-so-tame lion of C.S. Lewis's writing, he was throwing down the gauntlet. He was throwing out the challenge. He was challenging the people in their walk with God to say, you must be more than you usually are. Indeed, these words challenge, the, challenge us, especially today as Christians, to a righteous and moral life exceeding the standards of the Pharisees, as it says in chapter 5, verse 20. You see, when we start trying to challenge ourselves to exceed the standards of what is already viewed as the standard, that's... Uh, a little uncomfortable for some people. Because it's saying, you're wanting more of me than you want from this person that I already think of is supposed to be my model. And the answer is yes. God does want more of us. He's expecting our walk to be because of internal values and morals, not just because of what we've memorized and learned. 
So today we're going to look at a few opposites. We looked at the Beatitude a few moments ago. We've been through the Scripture. We know what it says. So let's look at the first one in verse 3. Take a few moments and think about this as we walk. This is not going to be a point one, two, three, have a poem and the sermon finishes. This is going to be a point one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, as we look at some of the to be aspects of what our character is challenged to be like. And in, in verse three, it says that we are to see a blessing given for the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. The consistent people who go through struggles. The ones that hang in there when difficulties come. The ones that, you know, I don't know what to do. I've been struggling with my boyfriend, my girlfriend, trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my work. I'm trying to figure out whether this is a better decision or this is a better decision. But they hang in there saying, difficulties may come, difficulties may go, but I know that my Lord lives, and I will stand with Him in the last days. They say, whatever comes, I'm I'm going to follow. It's a tough life. I remember traveling in China, going to do some training in the province of Anhui. Uh, I was with a group of a couple of other guys, and we were doing what we normally do. We were bouncing around in the back of a little broken-down van. And we, and when I say bouncing around, it's only because that's the road system there and the big chunks of uh, uh, dirt and um, uh, holes in the asphalt that will allow your vehicle to go in and maybe never come back out. And we were bouncing along. And suddenly they finally, we got, we got to a particular place about 8 o'clock at night. And they pulled over to the side of the road. And they said, this is where uh, we're about halfway where we're headed at this point. And they said, we, we'll have dinner here. We got out of the car and there was a, a farmhouse that indeed, you know, if, you've, if any of you have seen some of the, the farmhouses of China, you can well imagine. It looked like it had been condemned and they brought it back to life and condemned it again and then we were going in. Inside we found a little group of about four or five ladies. And uh, they had prepared dinner because this was the halfway house to get us where we were going. I felt like I was riding. You know, I for myself, I grew up in Texas, so I love to watch the old cowboy western movies. I know, I know. You guys just forgive me. My son Robert thinks I'm a nut for this. Okay? But the point is, I, that was my background. A long time ago, that's what we did. You know, he liked, he grew up more watching more Star Wars or something, I guess. But just a different kind of environment. But I grew up. And I remember they always had the stagecoach come up to a place and they would stop and they would go in and they would change horses and they would go ahead and they'd have a meal there and then they would get back in the stage and it would go on to the next spot. That's what I felt like I was doing that night. And we went in and, you know, of course, uh, I walk in and I get the joy of those nice little, I'll say six inches, I'll be gracious, I think it's more like four inches, the stools you sit on, you know, and the table, the well, from the top of the table to the floor.
who really matched poor in spirit. They were people not just financially poor, but these were people who had been through rough times. They hadn't been to prison, this particular group of ladies. None of them had been to prison. They hadn't been beaten, that type of persecution. But they were people who had found uh, being a Christian in their environment not that easy. You know, poor in spirit has an opposite. And the opposite, I would say, is rich in pride. Poor in spirit or rich in pride. Uh, I fear all too often we come in contact with the rich in pride. And maybe that is our sin. Maybe that's part of what keeps us from being blessed. We find ourselves so excited that we've been successful in life that we've obtained these certain things in life, that we actually are cutting ourselves off from the blessing of God. When I left those four ladies and we went out and we got back in our car, and took, I knew that I had been in the presence of the people of God. Poor in spirit, they will receive their reward. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, go to the next one. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are those that mourn. Well, you know, mourning, we tend to think, oh, isn't she a cute little little lady? Or, you know, she mourns or she's that. Mourning here is much more of a comparison to those people who are flighty, who are pleasure-bent with their lives. And I think the challenge for us, for all of us, is to ask ourselves, am I the center of all that comes into my life? Is life all about me being happy and comfortable and rewarded and having a good time? Those who mourn, in this case, you know, I, I reflect on Jesus at the cross. Worst of worst scenarios. Someone who has lived a life of perfection, who cared about people, loved people, and every time he loved people, it offended people because he was too good. And yet when he went to the cross, what he said was, God forgive them for they know not what they do. Mourning is to be spiritually sensitized Mourning is to have concern and burden for others. It's to be disappointed and, and broken over the sinfulness of the society around us. Do you ever mourn? When we come together as Christians, I often ask myself, why do we not have more non-Christians in our circle? Yeah. I admit, morning, Sunday morning when I come in here, different kind of morning, by the way, this M-O-R-N-I-N-G, no M-O-U in it. When we come together on a Sunday morning to worship, sure, my number one goal here is to encourage the Christians to be more outward in our testimony, more uh, solid in what we do. And yet, we've got to find a way as Christians to make sure that we're amongst those who need Jesus so much. 
We need to be broken by their lostness. If we will remember, Jesus tells us, without Him there is no hope. That means we're surrounded with people who are laughing and smiling and having a good time, or what appears to be so, but they have no hope. How do we get re-in touch? How do we enter that, that, that connection again that makes us spiritually sensitized? How do we get to where we can mourn over the lostness of those around us? Because mourning results in challenge. And it'll change our lives. Instead, we see flighty, pleasure-bent people all around us. But Jesus tried to challenge us there too. We need to be burdened for the souls of men. Verse 5, meek. Again, a blessing for meekness. Opposite, aggressive. They shall inherit the earth. Not the aggressive shall inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. Um, these are not, again, the little people that are cute. We have to realize that the Roman soldiers least respected meek people. Their whole society was based around aggressiveness, fighting, going to the Colosseum, going and showing your strength, showing your power. And yet, according to Scripture, it says that the meek shall inherit the earth. When I think of Jesus, I don't know what kind of Jesus you think of. I don't think of Jesus, I think of Him much more uh, as, as the one who was very, very strong, was assertive for sure. But assertiveness and aggressiveness are not the same. You can be meek and be assertive. But you can't be meek and be aggressive. Jesus modeled the assertiveness because He would not put up with sin. When something came and it was a situation where He needed to stand up, He simply said, no. Would it offend some people sometimes? Yes. Do we need to always offend people? Probably not. But we do need to have standards. We want to be blessed. And we need meek people who are capable of being loving and caring and still strong. Verse 6, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, the emphasis there you can see, righteousness is the goal. Who do you know that models this? Can you describe someone like that? Can you think of someone even maybe in this room? that you know of as a Christian model for you. And you've looked at them many times and said to yourself, I would really like to have those characteristics in my personality, in my character. This Scripture is not a hidden Scripture for understanding. Hunger and thirst for righteousness versus being spiritually uninterested. I know many, many people that are spiritually uninterested. This morning as we were singing and we were watching the, uh, uh, the screen as it was, and the words that came up, 
I kept thinking, you know, if I was a non-Christian here this morning, I probably would find one of two things going on. I would either be being challenged by what I was seeing and hearing because the words were so impactful and so practical and so truthful, or I would be sitting and saying, my goodness, this bunch of Christians, what a bunch of wimps. You know, this is so impractical, has no meaning at all. It won't get me anywhere. The spiritually uninterested are all around us. But God says again, hunger and thirst for righteousness, those people will be satisfied. There will be, they will get their day. Verse 7. Merciful versus self-centered. Again, I don't know how you view a beggar. I don't know how many you come in contact with. I know in Asia they can be found pretty, pretty easily. But when we think about beggars, people like that, I don't know how you respond. I, I know I've been with, with friends who have uh, sometimes given them money. Sometimes they give them a job. Sometimes they give them care at different levels. But there is a sensitivity that says, I realize that you exist. I found that with some, and I have talked to some beggars like this, their appreciation of me or someone else was just the fact that we recognized they existed. Because they have people every day going by them who just simply do not see them or don't appear to be. And it comes across as being very self-centered. And so again, it says they will obtain, obtain mercy because of giving mercy. And again, not what the Roman day would have brought them. In those days, mercy was not highly valued. Verse 8, pure, clean in heart, versus a deceitful, sly, and cunning individual. I worked for several years for an education corporation in China. Working for that education corporation was quite an experience for me. Um, the owner of the company uh, was very much a multimillionaire. We owned uh, three universities. One university had 14,000 students, one had 12,000 students, and one had 10,000 students. Uh, my wife and I lived on one of the campuses that, the campus that had 14,000 students. And I was working as the international director uh, for the whole system. And uh, traveled quite a bit. Uh, the owner knew that I was a Christian. The result, though, of my position was I was able to bring in teachers. And so you might guess pretty clearly what kind of teachers I brought in. And so we had at one time 27 Christian teachers on these different campuses. And we were in process of growing and, and doing some very important work there. And it was going very, very well. Within the company, though, this is typical for China, happens all too often. Within the company, there was a, 
a CFO who had authority, who jumped in and um, suddenly the finances of the whole company collapsed. And when that happened, suddenly I began to watch jobs collapsing, realizing that mine was in the process as well. I was trying to hold on because I wanted to protect my 27 teachers. And so I was working with the three different campuses to find ways to keep them teaching and the school pay them directly enough to get them through the last three months of a particular year before they had to leave. Now, in China, surprisingly, (laughs) there's almost an attitude amongst many of the companies that that deceitful, sly, and cunning individual who would walk away with millions of dollars, which this particular guy, a couple of guys actually did it, uh, that he had won the game. And the rest of the people at the administrative level looked at it and they said, wow, not bad. He was faster than I was to get to the money. There was not a question of values of right and wrong and good and bad. It was more of a game for who could walk off. Now, if you talk about doing work in China, I assure you, business in China is not a simple matter because of things like this. And it happens all the time. So when we use, when we look at a pure and clean heart, those are rare. But it's still our goal. It says that those people will see God. Verse 9, peacemakers, not troublemakers. A peacemaker, not a troublemaker. Matthew 5 says this very strongly as it says to love your enemies. When I was young, I, I, as I say, I became a Christian young. And I actually took the Bible serious. Interesting idea, huh? What I mean is for practical application, I wanted the Bible to walk in my life. And I remember reading in Scripture some things that challenged me about this, this peacemaker idea. Peacemaker is not a word so difficult I can't understand. But I remember that I grew up in the countryside in Texas. I rode a school bus from the time I was six years old. Ooh, five years old. Well, school buses in Texas can be pretty rough. Um, If you can't fight, you're probably not going to be real, real happy there. And if you can fight, you probably still won't be real, real happy there. But I remember up through about the fourth grade, I kind of had a permanent little scab on my face because I always was in a fight with somebody. Because riding on buses, it was just that way. It happened. And the bus driver sometimes would stop it and sometimes would not. But somewhere around that time, again, I became a Christian at nine, I began to read and see these things. And I said, you know, I don't know about this peacemaker thing, but I guess I'm not supposed to be fighting the same way that I've been doing with everybody else. Now, I didn't start the fight. See, I grew up with a father that had some interesting um, thinking. My father's comment was, never start a fight, but always finish one. And so, 
he said, uh, basically, never get into it, but if you do, don't walk away. Now, is that a biblical principle? I would not go that far. But when I began to really struggle with this, I decided I was going to stop any of this fighting. And I had some guys on the bus that noticed I was not fighting. So then they took advantage of the opportunity and started trying to, to push me again, to pick on me. Somewhere along the way, they found out I was a Christian and that that was what was going on in my life. So then, that was the new target, was my Christian faith. Because they knew, he won't hit you back. He won't hit, go ahead and pick on him. And it was really hard because I knew I could have really done those guys in and it was so difficult to control myself. Peacemaker. The point is, to be a peacemaker is not an easy task. To be a troublemaker is much easier. In, in those days, I would have loved to have been able to be a troublemaker because I was ready to go after it again. But somehow down deep, God was saying, that's not what I value most. And it's certainly not what Jesus modeled. See, that's another part of the problem. Oh, my goodness, this thing called the Bible was changing my life. Oh, that was terrible, you know. I almost wanted to quit reading the Bible because everything was challenging me too much. And yet it was the thing that was giving me purpose and meaning in a new way. So peacemakers versus troublemakers. The next one, verse 10 through 12, persecution for righteousness' sake. Versus playing it safe versus compromise. Compromise is around us everywhere. We can play it safe. There are all kinds of little rules and regulations we can put around us to protect ourselves. But in fact, if you stand tall, not sit comfortably. If you stand tall for your faith, you can be guaranteed persecution will come your way. We are living in a world today that is seeing persecution come into our society here. I remember meeting with a man that had been in prison over 20 years and asking him questions about his faith. And his response in every way was that, yes, the persecution came. That is where I got my leg broken was while I was in prison. But it was worth every minute because I got to watch what God did in my life. So persecution can bring difficulties. Persecution can bring discomforts. It can bring things that seem like they're out of control in your life. And yet at the very same time, we have to recognize that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Today I'd like for us to think a little bit about salt and light. This is not the Beatitudes. This is sort of a follow-up connected to it. The Beatitudes are very much what we're to be like. If we are that way, then our identity will be salt and light. This is what we're to do. We are to do the work of being salt and light. And very quickly, we have to remember that Jesus began His ministry not at age 22, Christ began His ministry at age 30. And He was baptized and His ministry began to go. And 
Uh, he did his outreach and he stepped out into the service of, of uh, uh, reaching out to people in all kinds of areas. And one of his, you know, we, he was baptized, he was tempted of Satan. Uh, and then he became a teacher. And his teaching went into the whole area of what character was about. And that's what we find in Matthew 5. It was a warning of radical change and the need for radical change. To be more than the Pharisees. The point there being, being a religious leader doesn't guarantee anything. Being a religious leader just simply means that you've entered a circle that studies a lot. We need to learn and apply what His words were for us. Look at salt. When you think of salt, what do you think of? Very quickly. We think of salt. It preserves food for later usage. Uh, it gives flavor. And yet the Scripture says that we're supposed to be salt. We're to be doers of His will. You know, a thing I think, think of when I think of salt, and I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I remember many years ago I had a cut. And I was, being the intelligent individual that I am, uh, one who walked into the ocean with my cut open. Um, <clears throat> and yes, you can get the point there. I knew very quickly that where my greatest pain was. Because the salt just burned something terrible. And I knew where the cut was. The salt played a role. It heals too. But the salt makes you very aware of what's going on. As Christians, part of our role is to make our lost world aware that Jesus loves them. That there is a meaning. There is a purpose. question is, do you know that meaning and purpose in your own life? Or are you just playing religious games? Light, the second one, very quickly. What does the word light mean to you? We talk about how it provides vision for us in, in dark areas and in situations. But we do recognize that light basically reveals truth. Now, some people don't like light because the last thing they want to do is come in contact with their own sin. They really are very, very comfortable in their sin. They're, they like hiding there. And light brings it out. Daniel 2.22 says, God knows what is in the darkness. Light shows what's in the darkness. Your lifestyle, what you do when you're with friends, where you go, who you talk with, what you don't do, who you don't talk with, God knows. And if Christ is the light, and we are to be like that light, we have to take action. When a Christian refuses to be either salt or light in his life, there must be a question as to whether or not person truly knows Jesus. We are commanded to do and to be. We are to be like many of those attitudes we just studied. And we are to be also light and salt. Today we would have to ask ourselves, what status are you in? Where are you? Now, just to go back, even though that's what I have to say about the attitudes, I would like Go back and remind us one quick thing. By the way, homosexual behavior is a sin. Alcoholism is a sin. 
Adultery is a sin. Gossiping is a sin. Stealing is a sin. Swearing is a sin. Cheating on your taxes is a sin. Not obeying the will of God is a sin. The sins are many in this world. You cannot run. As Christians, it is our challenge to ourselves to change and become better people for the kingdom and for reaching out to the world around us. We are not here to judge others. That is not our purpose. When we point this out, it is not judging others. We are challenging ourselves to be in line with the will of God. What is the greatest sin? What is the sin that's unpardonable? There's only one that the Scripture talks about, and that's rejecting Christ through the Holy Spirit. The challenge is great because we know that being salt and light means we have to come in confrontation uh, and not just compromise. But we want to be blessed because we want to be used by God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You that You are our teacher. We thank You that You allow us to be challenged. We thank You that You have a desire to bless us. Father, help us to have character that is worthy of being Your servant. In Jesus' name, amen.